Welcome to Rebuilding. This podcast is designed to help the church rebuild its walls one person at a time. For more information, check us out at www.piercepoint.org. Well, good morning, everybody. I hope that you guys are doing well. Uh, I wanted to start off with a couple of uh, kind of side issues. They're definitely not uh, less important, uh, but they are definitely uh, side to the sermon today. Uh, maybe they'll find their way inside of all of it. But uh, the first thing is our church update, which we shared at the 4 p.m. updates this week. Uh, for those of you who are tuning in with us this Sunday for the first time this week, uh, we have exciting news, and that is that our reentry plan has been set, and we will reconvene in in-person services on June 7th. That is next Sunday. But here's the really important piece for everybody to understand. Uh, due to uh, decreased capacity, due to social distancing, and all of those uh, certain uh, criteria that we're supposed to follow, um, or that we are choosing to follow, uh, we, have, we have diminished capacity, and that requires us to do multiple services. So we will have two services this Sunday, uh, June the 7th, next Sunday, June the 7th, at 9.30 a.m., and 11.15 a.m. Those are the two services. It'll get a, give us time for, uh, you know, kind of getting one service in and getting the next service out and all of those things. Um, there will be all kinds of uh, pieces to what it looks like to come back together and to meet in this kind of weird and new way. Uh, but all of those details are listed on the Pierce Point website. You can find that at piercepoint.org. You can click that big update banner that is on the front page, and it will take you to the Sunday reentry plan. So there's a lot of information there. I'm not going to spend uh, a lot of time going over that. But what I do want you to know is June 7th, we will begin our reentry. And that will be from that will be two services, 9:30 a.m. and 11:15. Due to decreased capacity per service, we de- we need to know who's going to come to what service. So you can reach out to us at piercepointchurch at gmail.com. Uh, you can reach out to me at nathanfrankhauser at gmail.com or barneyestes at barneyestes at yahoo.com. No matter what, we want to find out where you're going to be, you know, what service you're going to be at so that we can uh, plan accordingly. So that is the first piece. So re-entry next Sunday, June the 7th at 9.30 a.m. and 11.15. Those are our services. The second piece is definitely no small matter. Uh, I govern my life as a pastor in a very uh, interesting way, I would say, versus some of my colleagues. Um, I do not believe that a pastor has to chime in on every issue that happens in life. I don't think that you have to have a voice in everything. Sometimes I think pastors uh, weigh in on subjects because they think they're more important than they are. I know that that's rude or that's uh, blunt, but I don't think that a pastor needs to say something about everything. I actually apply that rule to every other part of my life. I don't think an individual has to say something about everything, but that's just my opinion. Uh, that being said, there are watershed moments in a, in a culture. There are watershed moments in 
uh, human history and world history in which I do believe it would be unfaithful as a shepherd to not say anything. Uh, we have spent the past three months talking about COVID-19. I believe a global pandemic falls into the category of one of those watershed moments. I also believe that what has happened over the past uh, couple of weeks in America uh, with regard uh, to uh, with regard to George Floyd's death, I believe that that is something that does need to have a comment or two, or at least a statement made uh, to a congregation from uh, the person uh, or persons that they tr- they trust to lead them. And so with that, uh, what I want to say ever so briefly, and I'll elaborate, it, uh, elaborate on this this week in our live updates, but what I want to share with you uh, is just... Uh, just where my heart is, where my mind is, according to God's word, not according to the culture around me. Um, What I have to say is intended to calm people instead of stir those people. Uh, The Bible tells us that he who is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who is quick-tempered exalts folly. The scripture also says that a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but the slow to anger calms a dispute. So I think it's important that we, that we recognize that we have a responsibility to, uh, to be a calming influence in our world as pastors. So with that being said, what I, what I want to share with you this morning, just in the beginning, uh, is intended to calm instead of incite anything. Uh, These are merely the thoughts of one of God's image bearers. However, I believe that they go beyond uh, a man's opinion uh, in so much as that they start and they end with the word of God. So here's the governing pieces that kind of uh, the kind of operate that I operate in. Number one, I am a pastor and a teacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, As such, I believe that the gospel alone is the message of hope that the world needs. I don't believe that any measure of social reform is possible apart from Jesus Christ. Uh, That's a challenge to some, uh, especially when we live in a pluralistic and a continuingly progressive secular culture. But I don't believe that there is any hope for the world outside of the gospel. Number two, I am governed by the biblical principle that says that we are to be slow to speak and quick to listen. Uh, you can find passages like this in James 1.19 or Proverbs 14.29 or Proverbs 15.18. Our responsibility is to be wise in our approach to everything. So we need to hear out the facts and understand how things work. Number three, I believe that although justice is uh, a work that God calls his people to co-labor with him in, vengeance belongs to God alone. So justice may be something that we are co-laboring with our king to bring about in this world, but the scripture is abundantly clear that vengeance and any kind of act that would bring about uh, repercussions or punishment on anyone, those are things that belong in the camp of God alone. Uh, number four, I believe that, they, that we are called to judge rightly. Uh, the world is... The world uh, constantly points the finger at Christians and says, doesn't your Bible say don't judge? No, it actually doesn't. It says to judge rightly. It says not to condemn, and that is a problem in translation for most people. But we are to judge rightly. I believe that we can know people's allegiance by the fruit that their life bears. 
And I think we should observe that and we should take note of those things. That being said, I believe that the police officer uh, was uh, very operating in a very malicious and evil way. And I believe that what he did was appalling. I believe that that's ridiculous. I also believe that everybody who's looting and rioting and, and burning down the culture is also repaying evil for evil. So I, I don't see where we're, where we're getting anywhere by all of these matters. Um, so I believe that we are to rightly judge. I believe that you can know people's allegiance by the fruit that they bear in their life. And I also believe that assessing the motives of an individual's heart that is, whether or not something is racially motivated or not, is a matter that requires a great deal of wisdom, patience, humility, and the Spirit of God. And I also believe that nine times out of ten, we are horrible at this. And so we should probably not do it. Okay? So, so judging the motives of people's hearts is something that uh, I see happening all the time on Facebook right now. A lot of, lot of uh, you know, Grenades being thrown at each other, and I think it's a, a tragic mistake. I believe that George Floyd's death was tragic. I believe that justice is working its way out. It is doing exactly what it's supposed to do. Uh, it is slower than anybody likes because, again, I've shared this through the pandemic. Uh, patience is not our virtue. It is not something we as Americans are very good at. So uh, I will write more on this this week. I, I've written a lot on this, trust me. But I will speak more on this this week as we move forward in a time that is just chaotic and confusing. Uh, and I believe, that, I believe that as the world uh, goes about its business, the Christian should always be set apart. The Christian should always be different. And the danger that we've found ourselves in is that the Christians in COVID and the Christians in race relations and the Christians in all manner of things are uh, taking a little bit of the Bible and a little bit of the politics they agree with, a little bit of the Bible and a little bit of their cultural uh, opinion on things. And I don't believe that this is wise. Now, in most of what I'm saying, I feel quite like the poor man in Ecclesiastes 9, which is uh, somebody who speaks wisdom and is largely forgotten. So whatever it's worth, take it for what it's worth. I, I believe that we need to be listening to the scripture and we need to be listening to the wisdom of God. So without further ado, we're going to jump into uh, Psalm 119 and we're going to spend our time in verses 129 through 36 and we're going to do all of this. Uh, as best I can in the next 20 minutes. So Psalm 119, verses 129 through 136, these are the words of God. Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul observes them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. I opened my mouth wide and panted, for I longed for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me, after your manner with those who love your name. Establish my footsteps in your word, and do not let any iniquity have dominion over me. Redeem me from the oppression of man, that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant, and teach me your statutes. My eyes shed streams of water, because they, those who do not obey, do not keep your law." So this morning, for most of you, uh, you are at least aware that this morning represents a very important 
moment in Christian history. This is uh, the day of Pentecost. This is our celebration, a day of Pentecost. And I'm going to touch briefly on the day of Pentecost before we walk through each of these uh, pieces because what uh, verse 130 specifically says, the unfolding of your word gives light, plays deeply into this idea of Pentecost. Most of us uh, know that that the festival of Pentecost actually begins as a Jewish celebration of harvest. So what happens is that uh, seven weeks and a day after the beginning of the harvest, there is this big festival, this big celebration that takes place to celebrate God's provision. Now, if we were to look at the day of Pentecost simply through a Jewish lens, what we would conclude, if, if we were not to see that the unfolding of God's word gives light to a thing, we would then conclude that God is just wanting us to celebrate the harvest and, and that's a wonderful idea. But as we understand Pentecost according to Acts chapter 2, as we understand Pentecost as the New Testament unfolded and as we have come to be a part of God's kingdom, what we understand is that what began as a harvest, what began as a celebration of harvest, was also a celebration of spiritual harvest. And so what happens in Acts chapter 2 is a fulfillment of just about everything that God had declared would take place uh, because there were things that happened later that were fulfilled, but, but it, it, it was very much accomplished. We, we see a lot of it accomplished in Acts chapter 2. Uh, a way that many scholars refer to it is that the kingdom of God was inaugurated in this moment. Okay, Whether it's through the death, burial, and resurrection, or the empowerment of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, the kingdom of God was inaugurated inside of this moment. It was a celebration that the harvest had come. Now what you'll notice after Pentecost, uh, throughout Christian history, and especially in the first few years of Christian history, is that they celebrated the day of Pentecost, but they didn't celebrate it the way some in the church do today. They didn't celebrate it by way of coming back and expecting God to pour out his spirit anew. They didn't come and wait for their Pentecost moment. That's simply not what we see in the pages of scripture. They would celebrate and rejoice in these, in these moments. But God was pouring out his spirit uh, continually throughout the book of Acts. We see it from Acts chapter 2 to Acts chapter 4 that the people who were filled on Pentecost were filled again in Acts chapter 4. It's, he didn't wait a year is what I'm getting at. Instead, what was celebrated and what continues to be celebrated by the far majority of Christians uh, throughout Christian history is a celebration that what God did so long ago in Acts chapter 2 was the inauguration of a kingdom. It was the beginning of, of everything that we live in now. That God was a promise-making God in the Old Testament and he was a promise-keeping God in Acts chapter 2 when he pours out his spirit and tongues of fire rest on, on all of these individuals and they begin to speak in all the languages. And this is a fascinating piece of truth. They speak in all the languages and all the places that are labeled inside of Acts chapter 2. Uh, you know, Parthians and Medes and Eliamites and all of these places. This was a sweet from east to west of what we see in Genesis, which was when the language was, langu- languages were scattered in, ba- in Babel. And so what happens is you have the Spirit of God coming to fulfill what he had always intended to do, which was to bring the world back together as a covenant blessing of a people that didn't do their job, right? Israel. 
And so what happens on Pentecost is God says, I'm going to fulfill my promise. I'm going to keep my word. And I'm going to be a blessing to the nations. And all of these different people heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then what happens in a fulfillment of scripture is that they took that gospel message all the way back to their home regions. And the gospel began to spread and to permeate the globe as we understood it at that time. And so what we're seeing in Pentecost is actually a celebration of the fulfillment of God's promises. So when we see Psalm 119, 130 say that the unfolding of your word gives light... What we ought to do is we ought to conclude that things that we read, and I'm going to give you some references, the, the, the promises that we read in places like Isaiah 66, verses 15 through 19, were answered in Acts chapter 2, verses 2 through 10. Uh, the promises that we see in Isaiah 66, verses 15 and 16 specifically are answered in Acts 2, 2 through 3, or in Psalm 68, 15 through 18, giving us a fuller understanding of it. Or Isaiah 66, 18, answered in Acts chapter 2, verse 5. And you'll have to go back through the message to copy these references down and study that on your own. Isaiah 66, 19 is answered in Acts chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. And so, what happens, uh, according to, again, uh, Psalm 119, 130, is that the unfolding of God's word gives light. What Isaiah understood was really understood in the time of the apostles. And, and that's a powerful thing. So on Pentecost, we're not, we're not sitting here waiting for tongues of fire to fall. Please hear me. We're not waiting for tongues of fire to fall. They fell. God is with his people. He is dwelling in his people. He made a promise a long time ago, and he kept it. And as we live out our lives today, we walk in light of that promise. Uh, Paul tells the Romans, if you don't have the Spirit of God, you don't belong to Christ. It's a fortunate thing that when we, that when we surrender to Jesus Christ, we are indwelt by that promise that he made so long ago. So what we're seeing there is Psalm 119, 130. We see that the unfolding of God's word gives light. Now, I say all that and I want to make sure that I say this to you. That does not mean that God does not empower his people in unique and special ways today. It does not mean that he is not still comforting us and still giving us, uh, giving us important gifts for the church today. The scripture tells us to eagerly desire the gifts. The scripture tells us that God gave those gifts to men for a purpose. The edifying and the building up of the church. Of course we need all of those things. I'm simply wanting you to understand that when we look at the word of God rightly, what we get is that all the promises God made, he kept, and he continues to keep as we move forward. But see, unless we understand that principle of the unfolding of God's word giving light, we will look at passages like Isaiah and scratch our heads. We will stay confused and say, what in the world are you trying to say to us? Is this just some sort of discombobulated, disconnected texts that I'm supposed to believe are prophetically connected? No, there's far more than that. There's far more than that because they practically play together. They have been fulfilled. Dr. Michael Heiser likes to say this. He says, you don't quote a verse and get a messianic profile. I, I love this. Bear with me. You don't quote a verse to get a messianic profile. You have to build it from the pieces scattered all over the Old Testament. So in Psalm 22, verse 18, when you see things like this, when you, when you see in verse 18, they divide my garments among them, for my clothing they cast lots. 
And then you fast forward into uh, Matthew's gospel in, in chapter, uh, chapter 27, verse 35, and you read, And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among themselves by casting lots. You could conclude that that's just a prophetic fulfillment, but you'd be lost as to how to prove that to anyone. You could say, well, just like what David experienced, Jesus was to experience. But again, that doesn't bear much weight to a Christian. Unless you then go to Ezekiel chapter 37 and understand what all this was about. David was a forerunner of Christ. Christ was David come to eternally rule. Ezekiel knew this. He said, my servant David will be king over them. You know what the problem with that line is? Uh, this is like 600 years after David died. What, what's happening here? It's prophetic fulfillment. It's the idea that the, that the light of God's word is unfolding and we start to see what is happening. You see, the reason why Jesus endured largely what David himself prophesied is because David was a type and shadow of the Christ and Christ was a fulfillment of Ezekiel and what God had promised to his people. So Ezekiel says, my servant David will be king over them and they will all have one shepherd and they will will walk in my ordinances and keep my statutes and observe them. What a powerful promise of what is coming, right? They will live on the land that I gave to Jacob, my servant, in which your fathers lived, and they will live on it, they and their sons and their sons forever. And, my, and David, my servant, will be their prince forever. How is David their prince forever? Because Christ is the David we're talking about, or at least that Ezekiel is talking about. Verse 26 of Ezekiel 37, I will make a covenant of peace with them. I will be, uh, it will be an everlasting covenant with them, and I will place them and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. Do you know what that sanctuary is? It is the church of God. We are the sanctuary. We are the assembly. We are the place where God dwells. We are b bricks being built together into a holy temple, the Bible tells us. What are we learning right now? We're learning that the unfolding of God's word gives light. Otherwise, we're left in a lot of confusion. We're left saying, well, I know that it's prophetic somehow. I just don't know how to make the connections. Ah, here's how you make the connections. The prophetic voices, the prophetic truths that were declared were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. They were fulfilled on days like Pentecost. They are fulfilled in God's church as we live to his glory. This is what the Bible teaches us. So we're going to walk through very briefly. We're going to walk through these verses. And I want you to keep in mind this principle that the unfolding of God's word gives light. You want to understand Pentecost? You need to understand that God always made the promise that he was going to be a blessing to the whole world. And he finally did it himself. <laughs> he did it himself by pouring out his spirit on people long ago. And that spirit dwells in us if we claim Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So here we go, verse 129. Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul observes them. Oh, the unfolding of God's word coming to be true here is amazing. Back in Psalm 119, verse 18, here's what David said. He cried out to God, this is the same psalm. He cried out and said, open my eyes that I may behold the wonderful things that come from your law. So in verse 18 of this same psalm, he petitions God so that he might see God's law as wonderful. Now, just 
Uh, a few verses later, well, more than a few, but just, just a few verses later, I suppose, we can say that God had answered David. He said, your testimonies are wonderful. But in order for us to understand God's testimonies as wonderful, we need to call out to him and say, God, I need you to help me understand them as wonderful. Last week, I, I toyed with Mark a little bit and said, we, we love to say these phrases, I love God's word, I just don't have to like it all the time. The truth is, we have to love it and we have to like it, and we are a far cry from what David says when he says, your testimonies are wonderful to me. But how did David get to a place where God's testimonies were wonderful? He cried out to God in verse 18 of the same psalm and said, make them wonderful to me, Lord. I would encourage you to do the same. I would encourage you to get on your knees and to call out on the God who loves you and has saved you and say, Lord, make your testimonies wonderful to me. Then David goes on and says, not only are your testimonies wonderful to me, it's in light of that that my soul observes them. <laughs> I want to observe them. I want to do what you've said. Listen, we struggle in the church today with, with obedience, and the reason why we struggle with obedience, mark my words, the reason we struggle with obedience is because we don't believe God's commands to be wonderful. We don't think they're wonderful. We think they're a buzzkill. We think that they're just some sort of oppression on our lives. God has told us that his word is good and right and pure and true and holy. His ways are high above our ways. His, his statutes are, are magnificent, the scripture would say. So it's really important that we understand why we need to glory in God's statutes. They are right and we are the ones who are off. So we should delight in them. And in light of how wonderful they are, we should say, I observe them. Again, why we don't is because we don't see them as wonderful. Verse 130, the unfolding of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. The term simple here is not derogatory. The term simple here is those who will seek. Those who are biblically defined, those who are actually open-minded. We live in a culture where open-minded means accepting anything and everything that comes down the pike because there are no absolutes. This is, this is foolishness according to the Bible. But instead, open-mindedness or being simple is more akin to humility and trusting God and saying, only your way is right for me. So the unfolding of God's word gives light. The whole, the sum of God's word is truth. We need all of it to understand where we're at in the storyline. And when we do this, what we should recognize is that that truth, the sum truth, the unfolding truth, it gives uh, light to those, understanding to those who are humble, to those who are simple, to those who are seeking an answer. Again, the reason why we don't look much like our Christ, as many say today, is because we're not simple. We're proud. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to do it my way, and you're not going to tell me otherwise. This is not the spirit of Jesus. This is not the spirit of the scripture. So, he says, it gives me understanding, or it gives understanding to the simple. Verse 131, I opened my mouth wide and panted, for I longed for your commandment. Most of, us, uh, most of us have a, a song in mind for that very last part of the first part of 131, Psalm 42.1. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for you. In this verse, though, the same David wrote that my soul pants like the deer pants for the water, but the same David now understands that God made a promise long ago to fill his people. And so what does he do? In eager expectation, in waiting, genuine waiting, the, the, the psalmist 
opens his mouth waiting for the God of the universe. If we look at, I can't seem to click on these things, right? But uh, I've got notes in my Bible and that's how I do this. But anyway, Psalm 81.10, look at what it says. I, the Lord, am your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. What do we see in Psalm 119.131? I opened my mouth wide and panted, for I longed for your commandments. So God made a promise to David, and David obeyed. David said, you told me to open my mouth and wait for you. I'm opening my mouth and waiting for you. The question that I have for you in your Christian life is, are you waiting for God? Or are you believing that it's just going to somehow serendipitously flow out of you at some point? You know, the Bible talks about not, being, uh, not preparing your defense before ruling elites in your day because the Spirit will give you wisdom. He'll give you utterance when you need it. You know, the Bible does not say, don't prepare ever because God will talk to you in the moment. It doesn't say that. It says, don't get, def- don't get your defense all in line. God will help you defend yourself. As far as you knowing God's word, the scripture says to be diligent. The scripture says to study to show thyself approved. You should get into your word. Quit crossing your fingers and hoping the Spirit's going to talk to you when you've never opened the book. Trust me, it does not work the way people uh, purport it works. It works one way, and that is you open your mouth running to God, and look at what David is talking about. I opened my mouth wide and panted, for I longed for your special revelation to me right now in the moment, my warm and fuzzy. No, it's not what he says. I opened my mouth wide and panted, for I longed for your commandments. Where are those commandments found? In the pages of Scripture. Please open your Bible. Know that God will fill it. He made the promise to fulfill it. Now it's time to take the action and say, I've opened my mouth, Lord. I'm listening. I'm yearning. I'm longing. So the, the, level, the, the level of this panting or um, the, the kind of, uh, I guess I would say, the, the excitement of awaiting that word or anticipation is it a panting like a deer for water. This is what they go for. This is what they're driven for. And sadly, uh, we have not become spiritually thirsty enough to run to God. Uh, We've got our minds filled and our hearts filled with all kinds of things worldly, and we're not hungry enough for the Word of God. Trust me when I say that if you're not looking for God's Word, it's because one, you don't see it as wonderful as David does, and number two, you're not thirsty enough. You're not thirsty enough. You need to hunger and thirst for that righteousness, for those truths. So let's move on. Verse 132. Turn to me and be gracious to me after your manner with those who love your name. Now I'm going to be brief in these final five verses, but I want you to hear something. In this verse, it's it's a It's a strange verse. It can get a little bit convoluted depending on the translation that you use. But let me interpret what is being said here. God, I want you to turn to me and be gracious to me. I'm asking for grace. I'm calling out for grace, which actually is a sign of humility uh, because grace is not owed to anybody, but it is promised to some, okay? And listen to what I mean by this. I'm not speaking some obscure idea. Turn to me and be gracious to me after your manner with those who love your name. 
So what did that verse just say? It says that the manner of God is to show grace to those who love his name. So David is declaring something very important here. I love your name, Lord. I love you. I love your word. I love your truth. I hope you see that this is the only verse in this eight-verse section that actually replaces word, commandment, understanding, uh, laws with your name which means God is associated in David's mind. His name is his word, is his action. Everything is the same. God's name is who he is and how he acts. That's what we see from David and his understanding of God. And so he, he calls out to God and says, be gracious to me. He doesn't say, you owe me. Nobody's owed grace, of course. That's why it's unmerited. But it is given to some. It is uh, it is promised to some, and that is those who love the name of the Lord. So David says, I love you, Lord. I know that you're gracious to those who love you, so please give me grace. Show me grace, Lord. That's important for you. I think in your, in your everyday life, you need to know that if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, God doesn't owe you grace, but he has promised it to you. Call out to him. Say, Lord, I need your mercy. I need your grace to be given to me. Verse 133, establish my footsteps in your word and do not let any iniquity have dominion over me. I'm going to tie all these verses together in just a quick second. Establish your footsteps, uh, my footsteps in your word. How many of you know that the Bible says that man plans his, man plans his way, he, he uh, makes his plan, but God ordains his steps. Now, what we've come to believe that means is that man makes a plan and God somehow is pulling a puppet string and making you step to the right or to the left or all these things. No, 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 no. Man makes his plan and God's okay with it. I shared a message a long time ago about the will of God, which I titled Pick a Spot, right? Uh, go ahead and pick a spot. God, man makes his plans. God ordains his steps, and God ordains his steps through his word. He teaches us how to walk according to his word. And therefore, as we carry out that plan that we've made, we do so in honor of him, in the glory of him, in obedience to him. It's Sometimes we make things too spiritual, and sometimes we, we leave off too much of the Spirit. But in this case, we've over-spiritualized something. We've made a plan, and we're expecting God to be a puppet master, kind of guiding us through the Spirit in this way and that way. No, no, no. Man makes his plans. God ordains his steps. How does he ordain those steps? Through his word. That's why David says, establish my footsteps in your word. Show me what I'm supposed to do. Teach me how to take the step. I will take it. And then he cries out to God and says, and do not let any iniquity have dominion over me. Well, isn't man responsible for his own actions? Of course man is responsible for his own actions. But David is simply echoing something that Jesus would tell us to pray later. He tells us to, to pray that we are not to be led, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Well, what, is, what does that mean? What do we mean, lead us not into temptation? Is God waiting to lead us? The point is, is that we're crying out to God and saying, don't, don't put me in a testing situation. Tr please don't do this. It's hard, okay? But here's the promise of God. It says for every time we are faced with sin, every time that we are tempted, God has given us an out in that. If you succumb to the sin without taking the out, it's not as though God 
allowed iniquity to overcome you. No, he answered the prayer. He gave you an out. Iniquity would not overcome you. You still have to obey. You still have to put your trust in him. And so what David is saying is establish my footsteps in your word. I've made my plan, God, but you've got to teach me how to walk. You've got to teach me how to walk, Lord. And then he goes and says, don't let any iniquity have dominion over me. We do need God's help in defeating sin, church. We do need God's help. We have been given everything we need pertaining to life and godliness according to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, but we need the Spirit of God as he emboldens us and empowers us and teaches us to walk free from sin. We also need one another. Accountability, iron sharpening iron, that's what God has established in his word. Verse 134, redeem me from the oppression of man that I may keep your precepts. What is David saying and what is David not saying? David is not saying you can't obey God if you're being oppressed. (laughs) It's really important that you don't read it that way. Redeem me from the oppression of man so that or that I may keep your precepts. What is David being kept from? Because of the uh, the oppression of a disobedient and obstinate Israelite people, David is being kept from many of the laws, including sacrifices to his God. He's saying, God, in so much as that oppression continues to come from those who claim your name, I'm unable to keep your precepts. Please have the oppression stop. We find ourselves in a very interesting similar situation uh, right now in that we feel as though this this COVID-19 pandemic, this this virus is an oppression and we're not able to uh, keep the precepts of God about coming together and celebrating and honoring God. Remember, God does not and David doesn't see himself as guilty here. He has a reason why he cannot do something, but he doesn't complain about it on Facebook. Anyway, instead what he does is he cries out to God. He says, Lord, I need your help. I need you to redeem me from the oppression of man that I may keep your precepts. God, I want to be in the, in the council of your people. I want to be in that assembly, but I can't because this is what's going on. Please remove this from our culture from our country, from our nation, from our world. This is what he's saying. So the same piece is true here. Redeem me from the oppression of man that I may keep your precepts. In other words, all of them. Verse 135, make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. Uh, All of us are, are familiar or most of us, I think, are familiar with Numbers 6.25. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. You remember this great blessing here. Well, David understood that as being a part of how he moves forward. Lord, make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. Why does David want God to teach him his statutes? Because he wants to walk in them. Because David has made a plan and God told him to, but he needs to be taught how to walk. And so he's asking God to do this. All of this, mind you, is the light of God shedding light on our path. He is, he is a light unto our path. We're going we're gonna to connect all of that here in, in this one last section. Verse 136. My eyes shed streams of water because they do not keep your law. Now let me tie it in and I'll hit that last piece. Okay, first... Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul observes them. It has to start with a view that God's testimonies are good and pure and true. You have to start there. In order to get there, you need to call on God and say, just as David did in the very same psalm in verse 18, say, God, make your testimonies wonderful to me. 
Make them wonderful to me. Because quite frankly, that idea of loving and not liking probably is more common than, than most would admit. But God, I need you to help me. I need you to make them wonderful to me. Verse 130 says, and then unfold your light. Unfold your word so that it gives light to my steps. So God, I need you to, to help me understand. I'm simple. I, I lack understanding. I need help. We need God to help us see his word as wonderful. And then we need him to help us understand his word, right? To unfold that light. Then verse 131, I opened my mouth wide and panted for I longed for your commandments. We have to want it. We have to want it. It's wonderful. We need God to give us light, but we need to want it. We need to desire God's word. Verse 131. Verse 132. Turn to me and be gracious to me after your manner with those who love your name. I know that you'll be gracious and you'll answer that prayer. So please do it, Lord. Please do it. I know you'll be gracious because that's who you are to those who love you. You see how this is all connecting? Do you see how the unfolding of God's word is actually giving light? When we put it all together, it makes sense. Then verse 133, establish my footsteps in your word and do not let any iniquity have dominion over me. In other words, I've made my plan, God. Teach me how to walk. And in my walking, don't let sin overtake me. Because even in my battle against sin, I need your help, Lord. I need you to help me. Verse 134. This breaks my heart. Redeem me from the oppression of man that I may keep your precepts. God, help me. Help me. Redeem me. There's things that are inhibiting me, that are prohibiting me from doing what it is that you want me to do. I need them removed because I want to obey your word. Why do I want to obey your word? Because it's wonderful. Because I see it's light. Because I need understanding. That's what we're all about here, church. Redeem me from the oppression of man that I may keep your precepts. Verse 135. Make your face to shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. Without God shining on us, we will continue to fight and argue over, well, my tradition says that the Bible says this. Humble yourself. We all need to do it. And we need to trust the word and the word alone. I don't care what, the, what this statement of faith says or what this article says or what this uh, uh, faith statement has said from long ages past. I care what these words say. I believe that those who wrote those statements intended to get them right. I, I believe that they had genuine hearts to want to understand God's word. But in the end, this is what matters. God's word is what matters. Make your face to shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes, Lord. I can't walk unless you teach me how. And then last but not least, my eyes have shed streams of water because they do not keep your law. My emotion today is rooted in that verse. When you understand that God's word is wonderful, when you understand that the unfolding of God's word will give light to the simple, when you understand that if we would keep our mouths open and pant for God, he will fill us because he's gracious, when we understand that even though we've made our plans, God will teach us how to walk, even though we understand that oppression might keep us from certain precepts, but God can set us free, even though, even with the idea that God's, or with the idea that God's face shining upon our, his servants will help us learn his statutes. Our eyes, our hearts, our minds should be broken when Christians refuse to obey.
David's heart was broken. He said, my eyes shed streams of water because they, Israel, does not keep your law. The world doesn't have his law. It's Israel who has his law. It's his covenant people who have his law. And they don't do anything with it. Church, we have his statutes. We have his commands. We have everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. And I'll tell you right now, in light of racial tensions, in light of COVID-19, I weep constantly. My eyes flow with streams of water because I do not see Christians listening and obeying their king. I see a bunch of people fighting with each other, talking about their rights and talking about how nobody's going to mess with them. This is broken church. I'm not telling you to just uh, roll over. I'm not telling you to just give up. I know that we're part and parcel to justice. I know that we play a role with God in justice bringing in this new world. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But vengeance is God's. God's way is God's and we need to trust him. You will not find a passage of scripture that tells you, trust in the Lord your God unless you're a 21st century American and then make sure you fight for yourself. You will not find it. What you will find is a God who says, please let me teach you to walk. Please let me teach you to walk. Because if you do, if you do, the world will take note. Right now, the world doesn't take note. They laugh at us just like they laugh at everybody else. We're a mockery, church. This is sad. You want a true and genuine Pentecost experience? Remember this. The Spirit of God dwells in you. Don't grieve Him. Do what He says. Obey Him. Honor Him. Trust Him. Give your life to Him, church. Psalm 119, 129 through 136 has become an easy, fast favorite for me. Why? Because it continues to confirm the same thing that we've already known. God is with us. He is keeping us. He is teaching us. He is guiding us. He loves us. He makes promises. He keeps them. It's always true, church. Let's trust in Him. So as we conclude today, and I apologize for going over on that, but as we conclude today, I pray that you... I pray that you will consider what I've shared with you today. I pray that you would quickly press pause on the sermon and resume reading your Bible, though. I have been given for a purpose. Uh, I don't, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that, that I have no place in your life or that you shouldn't listen to me or play some false, humble game. That, that doesn't matter. I will tell you that God has given pastors and teachers to the church, and you need them. But I will tell you that you need to trust God's word. You need to hunker down and you need to be like a deer panting for water. You need to be hungering and thirsting for his righteousness and his truth. So I hope you'll do that as we move forward. I hope that you'll do that and show the world that we truly are different. We truly are different. We are God's people. We are trusting in him. Amen. So we're going to go ahead and switch over to Mr. John uh, Pryor, and he's going to lead us in another song of worship. God bless you guys. Thanks so much for listening to Rebuilding from Pierce Point Community Church. We hope that today's podcast will help you become a more connected part of Christ's body. Remember to check out our website at piercepoint.org for more information.